Cool, cool. All right, so go to First Corinthians. Here's what we're going to do. Last, um, the last two weeks, I felt like the Lord was uh, really drawing uh, my attention to this word anticipation. And last week we talked about uh, we talked about anticipation, and really we paralleled the story of uh, of Moses as the redeemer that God would send from amongst His people um, to free His people from slavery. Uh, we, we paralleled that story with the story of Jesus. And we talked about the anticipation um, that there would be for a Redeemer and how many times, because we live in a, uh, in a post-cross uh, time, we don't, we don't feel the anticipation. And the reality is that all of the Old Testament was speaking about this Jesus that would come, this Redeemer, this servant, this Messiah that would come and rescue and free Israel. And so there was great anticipation for Jesus to come um, but we miss that because we're, we're, we're going, man, he already came. And I think missing some of the anticipation uh, means we really lose out a little bit on, on this time of year because uh, it's, it almost be, Jesus almost becomes something that we don't really think that we need, right? And uh, we miss the anticipation. They anticipated Jesus because they needed a redeemer. They needed a Messiah. They needed somebody to rescue them. And so even though you'd say in many ways they missed it when he arrived on the scene, uh, there was still great anticipation to a redeemer. And so we looked at the children of Israel when they were in slavery in Egypt and their anticipation um, of what would come. We looked at the similarities. Just cool how uh, Moses was this redeemer sent to his people, and he was attested to by signs and wonders. God uh, did amazing things through Moses to show that it wasn't a man coming with a good idea to rescue them. This was the power of God moving on their behalf. Um, God, it says, the scripture says that God heard their cry, and God was responded. Um, and, he, and Jesus came in the same way. Jesus came, um, and many times it said, I, these things that I do, it's evidence of who I'm from. Uh, that Jesus came with power, and it was uh, it was evident that he was from God. So I wanted to continue talking about anticipation, but I was man, I'm, I will not uh, not hide from you. I was uh, really wondering, God, what is anticipation part two? I mean, I feel like we kind of covered it. Uh, why is this word anticipation? So just just kind of began to go back over and search the scriptures, and one of the passages um, that we read over the last week. Um, I, and I believe we, uh, Pat actually referenced it in last Sunday's message, uh, is in Isaiah chapter 40. I'm sorry, not in his message, in staff meeting. He preaches in staff meeting too, friends. I'm just kidding. We have such good time in the Word on Tuesday mornings. If you ever want to pray for, for us as a staff, pray for us Tuesday at 9.30. It's when we're all together and we do our meeting. But uh, go to Isaiah chapter 40. I'll just show you what began to prompt what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, check this out in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens uh, with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way uh, of understanding. So we, we read more than that, but man, you ever read the, the word and a word just flies off the page to you? It's like 
maybe the writer wrote it in a bigger text than all the other words. You go back and check. No, that's just the Holy Spirit that's really highlighting something to you. Man, the word that flew off the page to me, and I can't believe I just closed it here, but uh, is this word justice. Look at that. Look at verse 14. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Look at this. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. And basically, these are these are questions uh, uh, showing the godness of God, right? That that He, in and of Himself, He is the author uh, of justice. Who can measure the Spirit of the Lord? Um, whom did He consult? Right. The answer is uh, no one can measure the Spirit of the Lord. He didn't consult anyone. He is God. Who showed Him the path of justice? No one. Why? Because in and of Himself, He is perfectly just, right? But that word justice flew off the page, and I began to think about what we talked about last week. So let's think about the children of Israel. What, uh, what rule or what authority were they under? Who, who was it? The children of Israel, when we talked about Moses coming last week, they were under the who? The Egyptians. And the word is clear that were the, were the Egyptians kind? No. What was their rulership? It was... Use some words. Yeah, it was harsh, cruel. It was oppressive, wasn't it? Was it the word? Would you use the word "just" to describe the way that the Egyptians ruled over the children of Israel? No, absolutely not. In fact, you would you would probably use a very opposite word. It was absolute injustice being done over them. The way that they were being worked, the way that they had been designated as a people group, right? That, that it was absolute injustice. And I began to think like, okay, God, what we just talked about Moses coming as a redeemer and, and, and it was really more about slavery, right? I mean, come on, God, right? We just talked about this and, and it's more about slavery. It was more about their, their anticipation was more about freedom than anything else. And as I began to look at it and just think about it, freedom from what? Freedom from oppression, freedom from injustice, they weren't just looking for uh, a way to escape work. They weren't just looking for a way to escape bondage. They were looking for a way to escape injustice. They were crying out because they were being oppressed. They were crying out because of injustice. And they were crying out to God. It says that God has heard their cry. They were crying out to him. Uh, not, they didn't say, send us a redeemer. They, that was God's idea, right? When they cried out, they didn't say, God, send us Moses, right? They didn't say, God, send us Jesus. They just said, God, you've got to do something. Why were they crying out? Because they were under injustice. They were crying out to God for him to look on his people, remember his covenant, and render justice. I've just never seen that before. It just struck me. It's like, man, I've, I've totally missed this, that the biggest cry, I feel like, for these people was for justice. What is justice? We're just a small group this morning. Let's just throw some ideas around. What is justice? Say again. Fair. Okay. Getting what you deserve. Okay. So there's an idea of equality in justice. Okay. What else? Come on, front row. Accountability to your actions, okay? Is justice being held accountable for your actions? Is that okay? 
Okay. Yeah, making a wrong right or uh, doing justice to a wrong done. That's good. Okay. Okay, by correcting an outcome. When you hear the word justice, what area of society do you put it in first? Like, what do you think of? Where does justice... Yeah, law, judicial system, courts. What else? Anybody like get a picture of a judge going, pow, nobody? Just me, all right. All right. I think that, I don't know, man. If I had one of those, it would be bad. I would slam it all the time. Too much power. What else? What else do you think of when you think of justice? I know this is strange. We're talking together this morning. Normally I'm just talking, but. Any other ideas on justice? Are you satisfied? I didn't write your list down, but I feel like you made a pretty good list. Satisfied? Anything else we want to add on justice? All right. So what we've got to be able to define justice. Many of the things that you said are, are good, but we've got to define justice. And here's the deal. Here's, here's where we, I think, where we uh, mess up a lot of times is that we define justice uh, based on the way that we have defined justice. Right. When we think of when we think of justice, we think of it from man's point of view, especially when you start to think of uh, a right being or I'm sorry, a wrong being made right. Uh, Some of you said talked about accountability, uh, accountability to your actions, that certain actions are right. Certain actions are wrong. And justice is the standard or the measure by which they're weighed. When you talk about our judicial system, it's a set of laws. Right. But who came up with those laws? We did, right? Most of what we think of when we think of justice is based on the justice rendered by man. So if we're going to understand justice, we've got to understand, right, according to Isaiah 40, uh, it says, who taught him the path of justice? Who, Who taught him? Nobody. He in and of himself is perfectly just. We must lean on that heavily uh, believers, we've got to lean on that uh, heavily that he is absolutely perfect in his judgments. And it says, who taught in the path of justice? None. So where we have to get our definition of justice? From God, from the person of God. So uh, let, here, here, let's take a shot. Uh, I'm going to take a shot at a biblical definition um, of justice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal this definition because I liked it a little bit better from what this guy said. So here's a cool book. If you're interested in, in justice, uh, I began reading this actually two years ago. That's how long it takes me to read books. Um, but uh, this book's called False Justice, and it's uh, by a man uh, named Stuart Greaves. He's uh, a pastor um, in, at IHOP in Kansas City, and he, he wrote this book called False Justice, and in it he defines what justice is. So let's look at this, all right? And just if you're, if you, see if you agree. He says, so justice simply defined is removing the wrongs that hinder right or removing the obstacles of shalom. Now, you, didn't, you don't have context here. He's, he's just talked about shalom and what the definition is. You hear me say that a lot. Um, we, we hear that word, that Hebrew word, and we, also, we always think of peace, okay? And that's true. But peace in that word is attached to a, a deeper, uh, better meaning of shalom, which is wholeness, rightness, everything. In a holistic sense, wholeness and rightness, everything being uh, being whole. And so he says, removing the obstacles, justice is removing the obstacles of shalom, anything that would get in the way of rightness and wholeness. Okay. Most people think of justice only as punitive, but justice is far more than that. God's justice is about wholeness and divine order of everything that he has created. We usually think of justice operating within the social and legal realm. That's kind of what we talked about. 
However, God's justice encompasses every sphere, both spiritual and natural, including the environment, our homes, our workplaces, governments, friendships, and our inner life. At its core, justice is about everything being made what? Whole. So it's kind of, it really kind of changes our definition of, uh, of justice. Like, I mean, I think he was, he was accurate. He says it's not, uh, it, we think of it normally as, uh, as punitive, but uh, it's so much more than that. It encompasses every sphere of life, and the justice of God has to do with everything being made right and being made whole. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at God's heart for justice. I want to show you, uh, as we kind of go through this, God's heart for justice. We've got to establish that first. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's look at verse 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is uh, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all and in all. Right there is a, uh, is a discussion on the all things, and that was that was wordy, right? Amen. Anybody else get lost in the in all under him and right? But basically, what what happens there is it's showing the the wrapping up of all of justice and everything being right and in order, and ultimately everything in order means it's all found where that God may be all in all. Justice in the last days is going to be defined as all things being in subjection to Christ and therefore everything being held in the Father, right? It says that God has given him authority and Jesus then subjects it back to the Father. But, but ultimately, at the end of days, justice will be defined in everything being held together, having all of its existence in Christ, That's our definition of justice. That's the Father's heart for justice is that everything is held together in Him. Go to Isaiah chapter 40 again. We're just going to read that passage again. I want you to see it. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him His counsel? Whom did He consult and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice and taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? Listen to this next verse. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine 
dust. Look at verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So you have this, uh, this huge, huge, huge scale God. And he says that all of the nations are as nothing before him. That's not saying he doesn't care about the nations. That's just saying if God were to scoop the nations up in his hand, they would be like fine dust. That's, his, that's the largeness of his scale. And that he, is def- he has given the definition of justice and all things will be subjected to him for there to be perfect justice. Go to, uh, go to Psalm chapter 68. We're just going to look, continue to look at the Father's heart for justice and then figure out how that applies to us. Check out verse uh, 4. Sing to God, sing praises to His name. Lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before Him. Father of the fatherless... And protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Does that speak about the heart of God for justice? What does it say? That he's the father of the fatherless. He's the protector of widows. Okay? Go to, uh, go to Psalm 146. Just go over to the right there a little bit. So God's justice involves being a father for the fatherless. And here we go. So, Psalm 146. Look at verse... Nine. Look here. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So God's justice has this idea of it that those who have no voice, that those are, who are weak and powerless on the earth are under his care and under his protection. They're under his justice. God has a heart uh, for the broken. Go to Proverbs chapter 23. Look at verse 10. He says, Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. Listen to this. For their Redeemer is strong. Amen. And He will plead their cause against you. And don't, don't look on the weak of the earth and take advantage of the weak of the earth because you want to know the one that stands behind them. You want to know the one that will stand for them in the last days. He will plead a case against you. He is a father of the broken. He will stand for those who have been marginalized. He is perfect in his justice. And I just want to tell you, you want to be on the right side of the justice of God. You don't want to be on the other end when he's pleading a cause against you because he is perfectly just. Do not tread on his justice. Right. So let's think about it again. Let's go back to let's go back to the children of Israel in Egypt. Now I told you before, right, that they were under immense injustice. Right, there was so many they were being they were being overworked, underpaid. I mean, it was it was the height of justice. There was abuse. Um, the, the scripture speaks of this being um, incredibly, incredibly unjust. What I want you to see, though, is that when they cried out, and again, I'm, I'm in some ways repeating myself, but when they cried out, they cried out from a position of injustice. They cried out as the unnoticed, as the weak, as the ones who had been marginalized in that society. And when it says that uh, in, in Proverbs that their Redeemer is strong, when they cried out, their Redeemer, who is perfect in justice, heard and responded, right? 
But I want you to see, it's so important for you to see, the way that God responded to bring justice was to do what? He sent Moses. And it's important that we understand this parallel. That's why we studied it last week. That we, we, it's, it's important to understand the picture that is given of Jesus when we read the story of the Exodus. When we read about this, this uh, Exodus from slavery and this breaking of the rule of the taskmasters of Egypt, we're looking at a picture of Jesus breaking the rule of sin. There's a picture of baptism when they moved through the Red Sea. This is this beautiful picture of salvation. But when they were crying out because of injustice, and again, injustice being defined as wholeness, right, in, a, in accord uh, with the Lord, they cried out because of injustice, and God's response was to send a redeemer. This is where we begin to see that God's answer to injustice is not a system, Right? God's response to injustice when it has to do with his people, when it has to do with injustice on the earth, is not a system. That's what we like to go to quickly, right? We see injustice. We want to put certain measures in place. We want to build a system by which justice can be rendered. God's answer to injustice is not a system. It's a person. It's a redeemer, right? And so God sent Moses in the midst of this injustice. I want you to see this in a couple of other places. Uh, Let's look at David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 8. It's really, 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 really important that we see in Jesus, in the Messiah particularly, and we say Jesus, but you got to understand there's this whole concept of a Messiah that came from the Old Testament leading to the person of Jesus. We say Jesus, um, and that's the embodiment of this, this uh, Messiah that was promised. That's who he was, right? But the idea of a Messiah for them... Um, and, and really in the context of the Old Testament was not, um, was not far off from this idea of someone that would bring absolute and perfect justice, right? As, as the scriptures would prophesy, this would, be a, this would be a king who would bring the rule of God and would set things right for his people. The idea of Messiah was largely held in this idea of injustice being rid of and, and justice uh, coming in the person of the Messiah, okay? So, um, so God begins to paint this picture. Who does, who does David become king after? Let's get a little history here. After Saul. Any injustice there? Dude was whack, right? I mean, Saul uh, pretty much just, just tripped out at the end of his, his kingship. Lots and lots and lots of abuse of power. Lots of injustice. God anoints this king, right? And, and we read in the book of Matthew, right, that, that, that Jesus comes from whose line? The line of David, right? David becomes this, again, like just like we looked at Moses, it's drawing this picture of Messiah. And God sets David up as king. And look at, are you in Second Samuel chapter 8? All right, read verse 15. Somebody just read it loud. Yeah. What did David do? What did he bring? He brought justice, right? He reigned. He was the, he was the king. He's this picture of Jesus. He was the king that would be established on the throne that God created. And that one of the main things that he brought was justice and equity for his people, right? The coming of God's chosen one, the Messiah, this picture in David, had everything to do with the bringing of justice. I want you to see this other really cool picture with David. Go to chapter 9. You should be really close to there. 
All right, so David and Jonathan, um, before this takes place, right, David and Jonathan become close friends. Jonathan is the son of who? Saul. So it's this really weird friendship, right? But they they bond, they become great friends, and they end up, um, through the course of time, becoming so deep, so close, that they make covenant with one another. We talked about that when we studied covenant, but basically they, they bond their lives together, Okay. So fast forward now, and Saul is not is no longer uh, is no longer king, right? David is on the throne is in in uh, in chapter eight. Look at look at verse. I um, mean, sorry, chapter nine. Listen to the question David asked. David said, "Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may know uh, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake?" So what is he doing? He's saying, "Look, I made this covenant with Jonathan, and Jonathan is, is in this household of Saul. So because of this covenant, because of my obligation not to Saul but to Jonathan, is there anybody left of Saul's family that I might show him kindness because of Jonathan?" Right? You guys with me? Everybody good? Okay. So. Um, it says, now there were, was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called um, him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of uh, Mahir, the son of um, uh, Emil, uh, at Lodabar, sorry guys, uh, then King David sent and, and brought him from the house of Mahir, the son of Emil at Lodabar. Okay, so basically what happens is he says, yeah, there's still this guy in the house of Saul, right? There's still one of Jonathan's sons, okay? He says he's crippled and, uh, and this, is, this is where he is. And what does David say? Go get him, right? Again, you got to frame this in the context of justice. He says, go get him. Where did I leave off? Uh, then King David sent and brought him. I already read that. I don't want to read those names again. Verse 6. Uh, and Mahibasheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. All right? So what do you think this guy is thinking? He's thinking it's over, right? Because Saul has committed such atrocities, right? He's become such an enemy of David, had set himself against David. And here now is the King David who said, is there any of them left? Right? Is there any of them left? And what's, what's going on in the back of his mind when they come and they say, bro, you're the last one of your, uh, your father's family that was against David and they want you. He's like, all right, <laughs> this is it, man. I mean, like, I'm, I'm done. And there's nothing he can do. Imagine the, the mindset of this man. He's, he's crippled and he believes that they have now come um, and they will pay, they, they will not regard uh, him at all, that his life is over. And he says it, he fell on his face and paid homage, okay? And David said, Mahibosheth, and he said, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I am? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mehibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. So what does David do in his perfect justice? What does David do? He restores this man, right? 
This guy was in the line of Saul that, that honestly, had he been written off and never even written in the pages of this book, it wouldn't have mattered because, uh, because he was, in, in a sense, he was an enemy, right? But God established a king on the throne of Israel who would do justice even to the least of these, right? And David reestablishes him. Not only does he reestablish him and say, you're going to eat at my table always, but he says, here's all of the land of your father. You can have that. And I'm going to send people to work and cultivate the ground that you might enjoy the fruit of the land that you're not even going to be able to work. I will send those to work it for you. This is a picture of justice. Well, let's stop looking at pictures. Let's look at the real thing. Then on that day, probably in the summertime, a baby is born. And this baby is a baby that we talked about last week is the one where there was great anticipation for the one that would come. At this point in Israel, there had been 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence, right? God had not spoken to his people. There had been 400 years uh, of silence before the gospels begin. And after that 400 years of silence breaks, they, they are in the midst of Rome. What do you know about Rome and justice? Yeah, name some things you know about Rome. Yeah, they persecuted Christians. They, they were phenomenally cruel. They created the, this, this system uh, of capital punishment, which involved the cross and many other uh, just wicked torture devices. They created the uh, gladiator games where they would feed slaves to wild animals for enjoyment, right? This is, and here's what's crazy, is that they, uh, they claim to have invented in some way justice, like the judicial system. They, they ascribe to having much to do with that, that they were right and, ju- and just, and they had a system and a process, yet they were unbelievably unjust, unbelievably wicked. This is the day that Jesus is born into. He's born uh, amongst uh, immense social injustice and 400 years of silence. And we, I think we often misunderstand the disciples. Like we think, man, they were, they were, uh, they were just being foolish. What do they ask in Acts 1, 6? Jesus has already lived his life He's died and been resurrected and spent time with them. And what, are they, what is their big question? They say, is it at this time that you will what? Yeah, is it, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? Is this the, is this the day that you're going to do it? And we look at them, we go, man, you guys missed it, right? And, and in some way they did, but what did they know about the Messiah? That the Messiah was going to bring justice this wasn't, this wasn't a question uh, that was a selfish question. This wasn't a question about, about power. This was a question that said, look, he, we, we have seen this working of miracles that has taken place in your life, and we know that you're from the Father, so we know that if you're the Messiah, that in you is justice and is at, at this time that you will bring about this perfect justice. Jesus says it's not, it is not at this time that I'll restore the kingdom back to Israel. He says, those times are not for you to know. He said, those are the times that, uh, that are appointed by the Father. And he essentially tells them, you be about my business. You love one another. You make disciples. You wait till I give you the Holy Spirit that you might do what I've asked you to do. But the advent of Jesus, when Jesus comes and is born, 
Jesus lives his life. What we've got to begin to see, I know we don't live in a nation where we feel like there's a lot of injustice. We may, we may you know, look around and go, yeah, there's injustice here, injustice here, injustice here. But in, in, in a large way, we, we uh, experience tremendous freedom, don't we? And many, many, many people, it should not go without being said, many people have given their lives that we enjoy what we enjoy today, that we can walk in these doors and not be, uh, not be persecuted or, or chased down or beheaded for speaking about the gospel which has saved our lives. Many have lost their life for this endeavor, right? And so we experience tremendous freedom. But because of that, we, I think, in the West, really lose the, the heart of God for justice being held in the Messiah. And what you've got to begin to see is that that baby born was the initiation of justice. This is the one in, in whom all things would eventually be put under his feet. This is the ruler who will rule forever and ever and ever. And in him there will be no injustice because he is the author of justice. The Messiah, the the concept of Messiah and then the embodiment of Messiah in Jesus is all about God's justice. Why does it matter to us? Why does that matter to us today? Why does it, why does it matter for you in this room? Well, I think, uh, and, and again, I would really recommend reading this book. Uh, he makes this point and I, I agree with it. There's, there's probably not been a day in history where we have been more active in the realm of social justice. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe you, can, maybe you could argue, but it seems like across the board, there is more awareness and activism when it comes to things of social justice. We have a global perspective that we didn't used to have. You can see, know, and access injustices that are being done across the world, Right? Many, many, many groups have been formed and have fought for things that are not happening uh, even in the same time zone, right, as, as them. And, and, and we have become extremely zealous for justice. My fear, though, is that we've become zealous for justice and we've detached it from the just one. That in our desire to bring justice, we've, we have received the gospel and we've been saved for heaven later. And then we've believed that somehow it, that God has given us the job of working, in, uh, working against injustice. And is that true? Yes, it's true. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But that ministry of reconciliation is done as we preach Jesus. And as people are reconciled to Jesus, justice is done. You see it. What we've done is we've taken the cross. We've gone, we're believers now. Now it's our job to fight for injustice. We've created systems and programs and, uh, and catchphrases and groups and everything else we can come up with to try to fight injustice. But we're missing the one in whom all justice is held. And I, this, is a, this is a leap. And I would just, uh, he makes this leap in the book. And I, I think it's very interesting. But the whole premise, if you read in the scriptures, the whole premise of the Antichrist when he will come uh, is a premise of justice. He is going to come and he will gain favor. The scripture says he will gain favor in the nations because he will be a one that is able to preach justice to many different groups. And people will go, man, he's got a good idea for bringing unity across the whole globe. And they'll be deluded by this idea of justice, depart from Jesus. And we'll go, that sounds like a good idea. 
everybody can worship here. Everybody can do this here. That sounds like a good idea, right? And he will be able to gain a foothold in the nations because of this idea of justice. And so if we as believers don't know where true justice is held, what true justice is, then we too set ourselves up to be deceived. And I'm, I, I don't want to make a huge, huge, huge point there. But what I want us to see is that we must begin to look at justice. Number one, the way that God defines justice. Justice is held in a person, not in a program, not in a group, not in the extinguishing of many different, many different things, right? It, d- does abortion grieve the heart of God? Absolutely. Does child slavery grieve the heart of God? Absolutely. Do these injustices that we see across the world, do they grieve the heart of God? Yes, but God's answer is not activism. God's answer is Jesus. His answer is the person of Jesus. The Messiah is the one in whom all justice is held. So we have to be adamant. We have to be adamant in all, of our, in all of our causes that ultimately Jesus is being lifted high and proclaimed. Do not be deceived, beloved. There is no justice absent Jesus. There are many causes that sound right and good and proclaim a good end, but there is no good and lasting end for justice unless Jesus, the just one, is on the throne and all things are subjected under him. You with me? You guys understand? Go to Isaiah 42 and then we will be finished. Well, maybe there's a few more after that. I'm just kidding. All right. Sorry. I always tell you guys to go and then I'm waiting for you and I realize I'm not turning my pages. Sorry. All right. Isaiah 42. Look at this, man. If you want to know, if you want to capture God's heart for justice, just read, memorize uh, over and over and over again Isaiah 42. This is beautiful, okay? Check this out. We're just going to read a few verses. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Who is the servant? Jesus. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now I'm not saying that, that protests and these things are, uh, are, are wrong in and of themselves. But what is the way that, G, that it says that Jesus will bring forth justice? Is it because he's going to get on the streets and shout and be loud? No, the servant will bring forth justice in humility. And in servanthood. Jesus brings forth justice in humility and in servanthood. Right? He will not grow faint. Look at verse 4. Be encouraged here. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Now there is so much more in that chapter. And I would encourage you today to read that. Meditate on that, man. Memorize some of these passages. But look at, look at where justice is held for God. God said, I'm establishing justice in my servant. I'm going to put my spirit on him. And because I'm going to put my spirit on him, he will bring forth justice in the nations. He's not going to do it by making a a big to-do. He's going to do it with humility. But he will do it faithfully. Look at verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. How many causes have you burned for that you got discouraged 
and you got frustrated with, I don't see a lot of change, eventually I check out, right? It's not, I'm not, but, but, but really think about it. How many times have we gotten excited about a cause and then days later, months later, years later, we're burned out? Because number one, maybe we didn't capture really God's heart for it. Or number two, we began to believe um, that, that we got discouraged because we're not seeing any progress, right? Nothing's happening, right? And if anything, I feel like the numbers are mounting against me, right? I set out to fight this cause and I feel like there's greater numbers uh, of this issue than there were when we even began this cause. We must be doing nothing. I get discouraged. I can't do anything. I get burned out. Well, it says that if our idea of justice, if our heart for justice is held in the sun and we put ourselves underneath the shadow of his wing, he will faithfully, faithfully, beloved, faithfully, means he will not stop until he establishes justice the way he sees justice on the earth. If we subscribe under the sun and believe that justice is held in him, we will not grow weary or faint because he does not get discouraged. He's not discouraged as the numbers rise and fall. He's not discouraged as politicians say this and that. He's not discouraged uh, as seasons and times change. He will faithfully bring forth justice over the all the earth. For those of you that, that really burn with a heart of justice, that ought to be extreme encouragement for you. So 400 years of silence, there's tremendous injustice on the earth, and look at Matthew 3. Verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the path straight. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, now stop. Have you ever really, really, really missed the voice of somebody you love? We don't really know a lot about what that is in these days because of technology, but you ever seen, we referenced it a while back, you ever seen the videos that are now very popular of soldiers returning home? That moment is so special because there's been a long absence. That moment is so emotional because there's a deep love. And for some of those, for some of those families, days and months and sometimes years have passed without so much as a word. Certainly without, without a touch, without seeing a face. But some, for some, it's without, even, it's without even a word, depending on where their family member is serving and what they're doing. And those videos are so impactful because when there's been a long break from the one that your heart burns for, it is such a refreshing, sweet thing when they speak again. 
When you hear that voice, not far away, but when you hear that voice again, when it's right in your ear in an embrace, it is such a sweet and amazing thing. Israel had missed the voice of their father for 400 years. They'd become oppressed under Roman rule. Uh, They were in desperate need of help. And the first thing that God says to them in the midst of amazing injustice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Think about the impact of that moment. 400 years of silence is broken by God speaking these words, this is my son. All the attention of God pointed to his son, the one whom he would exalt and lift high, the one who he would speak about his character and his nature, the one in whom all things were created, all things are held together in him, and all things will be subjected under his feet. That is the way that God breaks the silence. That is God's first moment of speaking back into his children is to point to his son. This is the one in whom all things will be made right. This is my son. Colossians 1.18 says that he has preeminence in all things. There's no justice that doesn't hold Christ as preeminent. So, my, this borrow from my dad. I've told you this before. When he would teach, he'd say, two-minute warning. We're sports fans in our house, and that just means this is the most important time of the game. All right, listen. Two-minute warning. The Father, God, is the author of justice. And the coming of the Messiah was the long-anticipated arrival of justice. And we must continue to see Jesus as the solution to all injustice and see justice defined rightly by all things being reconciled to God. Right? So when you drive by the manger scene, justice is in the manger. When you sing about justice for all the nations, all of the earth, justice, the right and good king has been born. And that should capture our hearts uh, as we seek to make his name known in these days. Amen? Amen. God, give us a right heart for justice. Keep us from straying. Keep us from believing that somehow we can bring about justice by our own efforts. God, you, you describe it well. Isaiah 42. You have put your spirit on your son. You have anointed him. He will bring justice. He will not grow weary. He will not grow faint. He will establish justice in all the nations. He will corner, cover every corner of the earth with his goodness and his justice. God, I pray that we would get caught up in your heart. Pray that we would get caught up in your heart for justice. I pray that we would make, in these days where we see injustice rise, I pray that we would keep you as the central figure in the bringing about of peace, justice, and shalom. And God, we pray this in the name of the just one, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Not released.